So page three of your church Bibles, Genesis uh, chapter one, beginning at verse uh, 26. Let us hear the word of God. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. A plus a size model who goes by the name of Tess Holiday found herself on the cover of Cosmopolitan magazine earlier this year. Uh, this caused a certain amount of discussion and debate in the media. The 21 stone mother of two tweeted the following in response to being given this opportunity. Phew, I'm literally a Cosmo girl. Can't believe I'm saying that. Thank you at Cosmopolitan UK for this incredible opportunity. If I saw a body like mine on this magazine when I was a young girl, it would have changed my life. This, I think, resonated with many women across the country. For example, in response to this tweet, the same day one woman tweeted the following, trying to figure out how different my life and self-image would be if I had grown up seeing women of all sizes represented like this. Around about the same time, it was reported in the news that in a survey of 11,000 children, more than 20% of 14-year-old girls in the UK confessed to self-harming. Self-harming is when a person hurts themselves as a way of dealing with painful memories, difficult feelings, or overwhelming experiences and situations. They can do this by cutting, burning, punching, or even hitting themselves. According to the NSPCC, reasons include depression, bullying, and pressures at school. But apparently for girls in particular, worries about how they look or body image is a big issue. And there is anecdotal evidence to suggest that in recent years, many surgeons in America are reporting an, increasing, an increase in the number of teenagers coming into their clinics asking, can you make me look 
like my selfie image. Apparently, imaging, uh, image editing software is resulting in a form of body dysmorphic disorder, BDD. But some are calling Snapchat dysphoria. And the worsening crisis in mental health among young people here in the UK has been called a silent catastrophe by some and an epidemic by others. And so as we return to our series in the book of Genesis, it seems uh, that it speaks into this whole area of body image and self-esteem, which we hear quite a lot about in the media. Now previously, in focusing in on Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 to 30, we have learned that each person in this room, as Chris has already pointed out, is unique among all of God's creatures. Because as a race, human beings have been created in the image of God Almighty himself. And this means, first, that we are wholly and personally directed towards God. We were created to know and to love God like none of his other creatures. Indeed, this is the chief or supreme reason why we exist, why you are breathing. At this very moment. And to miss this is a bit like missing the sun while studying the solar system. A second, it means we have been created to be holy and personally directed towards one another. The 16th century poet John Donne wrote, No man is an island entire of itself. South Africans talk of Ubuntu which is often translated as, I am, because we are. Uh, Ubuntu can also refer to the belief in the universal bond of sharing that connects all humanity. Uh, Two African sayings uh, that capture this include, you may have heard them, it takes a village to raise a child, or a person is a person through other persons. In other words, we are social beings who grow and mature as we share and participate with one another. We need the community of other people around us if we are to become healthy, functional and constructive members of any society. That is how God made us. Third, being created in God's image Being human beings means we are to rule over creation. Not in an exploitative or domineering way, but rather as we develop agriculture, horticulture, animal husbandry, science, technology and the arts, we were meant to care for and be stewards, good stewards of the natural world we've been given to look after by God. So the image of God in humanity involves a threefold relationship with God Almighty himself, with one another, and with the natural world that we see around us. But I want to suggest to you that there is a fourth relationship. The fourth relationship is a person's relationship to him or herself. But before we go any further, a word about uh, terminology. 
the late Whitney Houston uh, was a wonderfully gifted singer. And some of you will remember her song, The Greatest Love of All. The lyrics include uh, the following words. I found the greatest love of all inside of me. The greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself, it is the greatest love of all. Do you remember it? Some of us are old enough to remember it. At one level, it's a great, great song that expresses ideas that all Christians can agree with. Teaching children well, giving them a sense of pride and a hero to look up to. But the song also expresses this idea of loving yourself. In our 21st century, the topic of self-love is the staple diet of self-help gurus and the books that they write. But the idea of self-love can be, and for many of us, is dangerous. If if by it we mean or imply that we are to love what we ourselves are by nature apart from the grace of God. We're not there yet, but you and I live in the broken world of Genesis chapter 3. A world where by nature you and I are in rebellion against our creator God. So as we look inside ourselves, we see a self that naturally rejects who the living God truly is. The great peril of self-love is that it can morph into self-worship, leading to a prideful refusal to submit to our Creator God who truly deserves our love, both yours and mine. Don't get me wrong, self-love can be a good thing. If by it we mean loving what we are becoming in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, his death on the cross and his resurrection from the tomb for our sakes. Sadly, this is often not what our culture or the world at large means by self-love. In the words of one writer, Kevin DeYoung, the world's holiness is not found in being true to God, it's found in being true to yourself. So I'm not sure how helpful the phrase is, self-love, you may disagree, you're free to do that. Now a similar and related phrase, of course, is self-esteem. Self-esteem has been defined as a confidence or satisfaction in oneself. A blind faith, if you like, an assurance or pride in who or what I am, or in who you are as a person. And it may be that you would not call yourself a Christian here this afternoon. Yet at the same time, you may have a certain pride, a certain confidence or satisfaction in who you are as a person today, apart from any relationship with the God who made you, who gave you life and breath and strength to even be here this afternoon. Well, according to the Bible, this is not a healthy relationship to have with yourself. For many people, this often leads to a less than sober view of who they are in God's eyes. 
it leads to a distorted view of self. I therefore want to suggest that a more neutral and therefore helpful phrase is not self-love, not self-esteem, but self-image. The word self here embraces or accepts both positive and negative aspects of one's nature. And the word image embraces what we are by nature as well as what we can become by God's grace through the good news, the glorious news of the Lord Jesus Christ. So for the rest, for the rest of our time uh, this afternoon, I want to try and explain what a healthy self-image ought to be in relation to what it means to be created in the image of God himself. Understanding two things will help us with this issue. The first is understanding that my self-image has been distorted. I don't care who you are, how successful you are, how well qualified you are, how much money you have in the bank, we all need to realise that our self-image has been distorted, is being distorted, as we sit here, as I stand here this afternoon. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, you may want to turn to it on page 3 of your Bibles, as day 6 reaches its climax, we read the following. Verse 26, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. In verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. That, I think, is a reference to humanity as a whole. And we perhaps tend to think in terms of just Adam and Eve. Now, it is not unreasonable to assume that at this stage, Adam and Eve had a wholly good and positive self-image of themselves. Indeed, the last verse in Genesis chapter 2 would suggest that they were both very comfortable in their own skins, as it were. There was complete harmony between them and the total absence of any shame or guilt. Because, of course, they had neither rebelled against their maker nor become estranged from one another. So look at chapter 2 and verse 25 of the book of Genesis. Turn over the page. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, the distortion of their self-image, and therefore yours and mine, that was to follow in Genesis chapter 3, had both an upward and a downward direction. So in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, the snake tempts the woman Eve into believing that if she takes and eats the forbidden fruit, she will, verse 5, chapter 3, be like God, knowing good and evil. Woman, God is holding out on you. He's keeping stuff back from you. He doesn't want you to have it. And this is neither fair nor right. So the man and the woman reaching out for that piece of fruit was an attempt to elevate themselves in an upward direction. They desired to take upon themselves the ability to decide what was both right and wrong. In effect, they were saying... We want to be elevated up to the God-like status of being our own lawmakers. We don't want God as our law. We want to make the rules. We want to be the lawmakers. This arrogant, 
pride and conceit. This reaching off of that which by nature could never be theirs as creatures of a superior being was the cause of our race's first act of rebellion and descent into corruption. <coughs> and ever since that day, the heart of the human condition is this desire to have God-like control over our lives and the lives of all those around us. This has been a recipe for chaos and confusion. This is the first upward direction of the distortion of our self-image. Of course, it wasn't an upward direction at all, was it? But after this, a second distortion of the self-image occurs, but this time in a downward direction. Look at chapter 3 and verse 7 of Genesis. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Knowing they had done wrong, feeling a sense of shame, Adam and Eve's self-image begins to spiral, excuse me, downwards. A little later, Adam admits to the Lord God that he hid from him because he was naked. Chapter 3, verse 10. Adam's shame reveals itself in a fear of God's presence and a denial of personal responsibility. But then in verse 10 of chapter 3, Adam should have said, I ran and hid from you, Lord God. Because I have rebelled against you. But instead, notice what he says. He says it was because he was naked. Can you see that their sinful rebellion not only leads to fear and denial, but also a distortion of their self-image. Adam and Eve, perhaps two people nearer perfection than any other people on the earth since then, are no longer happy with and in their own bodies. They can no longer stand naked in one another's presence, let alone in the presence of their maker. Despite awful programs like Naked Attraction, or people calling themselves naturalists, most of us feel uncomfortable and very vulnerable if we have to walk around naked in the presence of other people. Uh, put simply, the distortion of our self-image in practice often leads, means that in this life, there are two sorts of people. Those who have too high an opinion of themselves, and those who have too low an opinion of themselves. In the Old Testament book of Daniel, the king of Babylon, a man named Nebuchadnezzar, is so intoxicated by his uh, self of sense of power and achievement... But God, the God of heaven, has to humble him by removing his mental health for a season. A more modern day example might be a former Iraqi leader. Despite facing the death penalty during his trial in Iraq for his many crimes against humanity, it was seen that Saddam Hussein remained arrogantly defiant to the very end. Uh, one article I read about him ended with these words, Saddam Hussein's failing was not stupidity, but arrogance. He was a man of intelligence who came to believe that he had semi-divine attributes. Of course, 
You don't have to be a king or a president to be full of yourself, do you? We can all think too highly of ourselves, can't we? Indeed, for most of us, me included, it comes quite naturally. So the Bible warns us that God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. By contrast, apparently, many criminals have a very negative self-image. They hate themselves and society, expressing their hatred through acts of violence. Of course, again, this fact is not limited to criminals alone. According to one a prominent uh, psychologist, the core difficulty most people in therapy face is that they despise themselves. They regard themselves as worthless and even unlovable. Can you relate? My point is, having both too high and too low a self-image is a distortion, a perversion of the self-image God intended for each and every one of us as men and women and boys and girls created in his image. Yet, ironically, a low self-image is very much a necessary precondition if a person is to come to know and love the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus once told a story of two men going to a sacred place to pray. One was a self-castigating tax collector, the first century equivalent of the scum of the earth. A man who had come to hate who he had become and therefore felt unworthy to even approach God, expressing this in a very humble demeanour. The other was a self-congratulating Pharisee, a man who was arrogantly presumptuous in his religious showboating. He was a complete show-off, spiritually speaking, like some of us who are evangelicals, perhaps even. According to Jesus, it was the tax collector and not the Pharisee who went home that day accepted by God. Understand then that your self-image has been distorted. That brings me to the second thing that will help us all develop a healthier and more robust self-image as those created in God's image. Secondly, you and I need to understand that our self-image can be restored. That's the good news of the gospel. My self-image can be restored. Indeed, if you are a Christian here today, your self-image is in the very process of being renewed by God the Holy Spirit. Once a person accepts that even though Jesus was and is God Almighty come in the flesh, he died on the cross for them personally, taking the punishment they deserved. And God's Holy Spirit then begins cultivating in that person true humility. That is an honest awareness that you have both strengths and weaknesses. He begins to give you a sober view, a realistic view, a true image of yourself. This is the way Paul puts it in a couple of New Testament letters. At Romans 12 verse 13, sorry, Romans 12 verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the faith 
God has distributed to each of you. Romans 12 verse 3. Or what about Philippians 2 verse 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. The gospel teaches us not to think less of ourselves, but rather to think of ourselves less. Let me say that again. The gospel teaches us not to think less of ourselves, but rather to think of ourselves less. That's for the crib sheet teenagers. That we grow up into Christ by growing down into lowliness. It pulls pride out by its roots as it forces us to recognise that all our gifts and talents come from our Creator God. In the words of the Apostle Paul, what do you have that you did not receive? Intelligence? Musical or athletic ability? A good business brain? Good looks and a winsome personality? I I struggle with those last two in particular. I've been given an abundance of them. But since you received these things and more, why do you act as if you didn't? Why do you boast as if you did not? Paul, Paul goes on to confess that his competence comes from God. How humbling. One of the greatest missionaries and preachers in the history of a church, and yet his competence comes not from his educational background or achievements, but from God. <coughs> But in addition, the New Testament seems to suggest that humility will mean being willing to use one's gifts to serve God and others. I don't know about you, but I'm acutely aware that I could do better in this area. I could be a lot less selfish with my time, amongst other things, when it comes to serving others. And this sober reality helps me not to have too high a view of myself. But the gospel not only corrects me from having too high a self-image, it also protects me from having too low a self-image. I remember an older Christian gentleman in the church I once attended. At times, he was a little depressing to be around uh, because he seemed to have uh, such a low view of himself. He would come out and say things like, I'm just a worm. And we all knew what he meant. But we also have to be careful that we don't create a culture that focuses too much on the continued sinfulness and inadequacies we experience such that we lose sight of the newness that we've been given in Christ as Christian believers. But our self-image is being restored in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, if you are a Christian here today, The doctrine of justification means that when God looks at you, he no longer sees your sin or your sin or your guilt or your shame. No, instead he sees you clothed in the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only has your sin been punished on the cross as we were celebrating earlier on, but also your stained record of wrongs, past, present and future, has been wiped completely clean. Covered over by the righteousness of Jesus. The doctrine of sanctification means that God the Holy Spirit slowly but surely is delivering you from the pollution of sin. Making you more like Jesus day by day. 
So every Christian should be able to say, I might not be where I want to be, but thank God Almighty, I'm not where I used to be. I'm okay. I'm on my way. I'm not perfect, but that is the direction that I'm heading in. Now turn with me to Colossians that was read earlier on by Rob. Uh, Colossians 3 verses 9 and 10 reads as follows, page 1184 of our church Bibles. Colossians 3. Colossians 3 verse 9 and 10. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self. Here's the important part. Which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Praise the Lord. Paul is saying that if you are a Christian here today, by the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, you've received, you've decisively taken off your old self and just as decisively put on your new self. And that new self is progressively being renewed. It's as if as you walk around in your new self, God the Holy Spirit is constantly sending you downloadable upgrades to help you to walk better each day. Elsewhere in the New Testament, uh, the the New Testament is at pains to point out that we live as Christians with indwelling sin. Nevertheless, we are no longer enslaved by it. No, rather, we now live under the liberating regime of God the Holy Spirit. He controls our minds and our bodies, directing us to live a life that honours God as we seek to help one another. We can now engage in the struggle, but with the expectation that we can defeat sin. We should not not expect sometimes to be defeated all the time. Indeed, we can and sometimes will experience very real victory. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, don't look it up. The Apostle Paul writes this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Paul is not just referring to the age to come. If you are a Christian here today, here and now, you are literally a new creation. You belong to the new era that has been ushered in through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You no longer belong to the old era of enslavement to sin. No, rather you belong to the era of salvation, of joy and of peace. You are not totally new, but you are genuinely new. And one day the full implications of the new creation in Christ Jesus will be revealed when you stand on the new heaven and the new earth in your new resurrection body with a perfected self-image. Now, I'm telling you all this because it means this. The Christian believer, whoever he or she is, can and should have a positive self-image. By this, I don't mean that you should feel good about yourself based on your looks, on how many Facebook friends you have, your your career progression, how fit and healthy you are, for your age and mileage, or how well accomplished your children are, academically, musically, or otherwise. 
A truly Christian self-image means looking at yourself in the light of God's gracious work of forgiveness and renewal in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. It will involve giving God all the praise and all the glory for who he is and what he is doing and is still ongoingly doing in your life through his grace. So what are some of the implications as we close? Put simply, if you are to have a positive self-image, you will need to hold together the fact that as a human being, you are the product of God's creation and sin's corruption. At one and the same time, you are both great yet broken. We are all great yet broken. The paradox of what it means to be human can be explained in no other way. And so, what is needed is a balanced self-image. One where you avoid the two extremes of either excessively hating yourself or loving yourself. On the one hand, it means having a deep conviction that you're a sinner in need of rescue, and that even as a professing Christian, you are still far from what you were created to be and ought to be. But on the other hand, you are created in the image of God Almighty himself. Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. And through the gospel, that image can and is being fully renewed in the knowledge and image of its creator. And to the end, that you might love God, love your neighbor, and love the planet that he has given you. And finally, I want you to know that if you are not a Christian here this afternoon, this is a possibility that is open to you also. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, whether you're black, male, female, black, white, middle class or working class, well-educated or not, and regardless of your sexual orientations, your crimes and misdemeanors, Jesus wants to restore your self-image to what it should be. All you need to do is ask him to forgive you and begin the process of changing you more and more into his image. Plus size model, Jess Halliday. Hit back at suggestions that her appearance and on the cover of the October issue of Cosmopolitan magazine in that green satin swimsuit celebrated morbid obesity, saying rather it was about promoting body positivity. She also went on to say that your mental health is far more important than your physical health. And in many ways, I think she had a point. But I also think that Genesis is teaching us that spiritual health, leading to a right body image, is the best way to improve your mental as well as your physical health. 